welcome to another episode of Appalachian Shine. It's the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. I'm JC, your host. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody, and uh, hopefully everyone is having a, a good new year so far. Today is February 1st. Tomorrow's Groundhog Day. So I guess we're going to find out if we're going to get six more weeks of winter or not. But looking out the window tonight, <coughs> folks, you're looking good, i, I got to tell you. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for some warmer weather. I'm, weather, I'm ready for people to uh, get back to normal. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see that very soon. Um, but anyway, thanks again for tuning in to Appalachian Shine. Uh, actually, I want to thank, uh, take a quick moment just to thank the Williams Company uh, Charitable Fund. Um, we received, uh, mentioned on our last uh, episode, that we received a grant uh, from uh, the Tulsa Community Fund. It was recommended th- uh, from Williams Company. So thanks so much uh, for that grant. That grant will actually help us keep this podcast going this year and a few other functions that we have to, that we have to do. And we're actually going to be planning uh, I, um, you know, kind of a, a public function here uh, to help support the local arts uh, here in Central Appalachia coming soon. So to be continued, I'll be uh, speaking with some folks next week about a particular event we'd like to, uh, to have in the community, probably over in the Bristol Abingdon area. Uh, seems to be like a central location for, for people to get together. So that, uh, so be on the lookout for that. And when we do have some, uh, some solid things planned, we'll let you know on our Facebook page. But thanks again. Yeah. We, we certainly appreciate those folks for the grant. Uh, we got that late in uh, December. So as I'd mentioned before, it's been tough going for a lot of, a lot of nonprofits over the last year. Uh, and you know, we're all volunteers and, uh, and we generally pay for our expenses out of pocket. As best we can, we do, we do take some donations from uh, individuals and occasionally do a, a fundraiser on uh, Facebook to try to help uh, raise some, some funds here and there. Generally, we don't really ask unless we you know need a few extra bucks uh, to help cover expenses or something specific and unique we want to do. We want to thank everybody that's been able to support us as well. Last year was so tough; a lot of nonprofits actually some didn't didn't make it. Uh, fortunately, we we have very low overhead expense and. Um, we, uh, we're, we're here again and we, we certainly, uh, appreciate being, uh, here to have another, uh, another year to do some exciting things and, and promote Appalachia as best we can, our history, our culture, our arts, and just the economic opportunity that's going to exist around here. Um, and, uh, as, as things change and the economies change and, and times change, uh, we change with it. So thanks so much again. We certainly appreciate the grant. I actually wanted to talk a just for a few minutes today, we've got a couple of podcasts planned, but we've had to reschedule because of weather and things like that. Um, just to give you a heads up, uh, hopefully next week is cooperative. Uh, we'll be meeting with several preachers in the area to talk about how COVID has impacted the churches here in central Appalachia and, and probably I would imagine everywhere. But some of the unique challenges that we face around here in this region that a lot of us call the buckle of the Bible belt. We, uh, you know, we, we are certainly on the Bible belt and, um, our churches are a big part of our way of life here in Appalachia, and it's it's been refreshing to to hear from preachers and, and pastors from different churches and congregations and denominations just how they've been impacted and their churches have been impacted from the COVID, from uh, the you know the social distancing and and trying to do Facebook lives and and just how many people are actually you know still uh, coming to church as best they can, whether it's in person or or through, through uh, social media. So we look forward to having that conversation with several pastors. Um, we'll probably break that up into two separate uh, podcasts so that we don't run too long. Uh, 
But today, actually, I wanted to talk about, well, what better to talk about than Appalachian legends? And uh, we've got some good ones. You know, these mountains um, are just wrought with mystery and and uh, legend and, and folklore. You know, it's not surprising that a 480-million-year-old uh, mountain range, try to say that three times, um, would inspire just legends of, you know, just uh, unexplained sightings, phenomena, uh, animals, you know, darting around through the the, the forest and the in the in the woods, um, ghostly apparitions, UFO sightings, uh, just any kind of weird, odd things. You know, like uh, for example, shapeshifters and skinwalkers. A lot of these old legends go back all the way to the Native Americans, and uh, but you know, for for generations though, we've had myths and legends and and just tall tales passed down through. Mostly oral traditions, um, and a lot of those came from, like I mentioned, native tribes and early settlers that uh, came here in Appalachia and then eventually uh, crossed through. But yeah, you know, reading a lot about old legends and folklore in our region, you know, one of the things that some uh, writers think that uh, just the just the danger of living in these mountains, just the risk that people take day to day. Um, the isolation from early settlers, especially, uh, was what really kind of spawned and spurred a lot of the legends that still exist today. Just those general fears. And, you know, when you think about it, um, a broken ankle, it was a death sentence, you know, in those times. So, um, so the, just the fear and the isolation alone and the fear of the unknown as you're going through these heavily wooded mountains... Yeah, it's you can see how people's imaginations would, you know, spawn off so many legends and myths that today we're still banging around, right? We're still telling them on podcasts and writing about them in books, and believe it or not, we even uh, one local legend, one central, one Appalachian legend, probably more than one, but uh, made it to an episode of X Files, which is what I want to talk about today. So. Um, yeah, kind of strap in for this. Yeah, we, we look at all these different legends, like Bigfoot is one, which we call the wood booger around here. Uh, I think I've also heard the name Boojum, right? So that's uh, that's one of the legends that we have around here. But one of the most interesting legends that I find was what was called the Brown Mountain Lights. Now, Brown Mountain is in North Carolina. And if you take a trip down to Brown Mountain, what you're going to find in the dark skies above ghost lights. People said there's ghost lights, orbs that float around. Lights that have been spotted in the night for over a century. All right? now, some actually say it goes back over 700 years. But it looks like, um, according to eyewitnesses, these glowing orbs and they hover in the sky above the mountain, and then they just suddenly disappear. Or they, they explode, but there's no sound. Now, the first reported sighting of lights in uh, in Brown Mountain was, actually, this goes back to 1913. And uh, there's a fisherman who said he saw, you know, these weird red lights just kind of dancing above the horizon. Now, keep that word dancing in mind. I find that quite unique, considering what I've read about this. But the sightings continued, and in uh, 1922, uh, the uh, U.S. Geological Society decided they were going to investigate this. And they, what they just said that 
these lights are nothing more than just you know headlights of cars and and uh, trains that are passing in the night. Okay, I guess a sound enough explanation for many at the time. However, a big flood hit, and that was in 1916. But that changed the theory. Like these waters, it washed out the roads, bridges, knocked out power for weeks. But nonetheless, the brown mountain lights were still spotted in the sky. Now, there's old bluegrass songs that you can find that go way, way back that claim that these lights really are just slaves, uh, the ghosts of slaves searching for a lost master. All right? Or one of the most unique ones that I found was an episode of The X-Files who may claim that the Brown Mountain Lights were actually caused by UFOs. Well, now that's interesting, because I'm a big X-Files fan. There's something weird and uh, strange, and I'm probably going to be taking a look at it, <laughs> especially here in this region and, and anything that happens in our Appalachian region. So if you go back to actually, if you're a fan of the X-Files, back in Season 6, and this was toward the end of the season, there was an episode called Field Trip. Now, I don't know if you can still find X-Files on Netflix or... Or maybe some some streaming service you can find these episodes. But go take a look at uh, season six, episode twenty one of the X Files. It's called Field Trip, and the description of this is uh, is pretty fun. A young married couple, skeletons, are found together on a field in the mountains after only being reported missing for three days. The area where their skeletons were found is known for UFO activity, so Mulder and Scully go there to investigate it. Mulder finds a couple alive, and all signs point to alien abduction. But everything is not as it seems. That's a pretty good trailer. It's a pretty good storyline for that particular episode. And that was back in 1999? Yes, 1999. Um, so the fact that you know even this particular legend gained foothold in such a popular show like The X-Files at the time is not surprising. Like I said, considering how these mountain ranges are, the amount of tall tales and legends and, and folklore and eerie sightings probably has no limit. Okay. Um, however, they may claim in the show, well, it's just a show, that the lights are caused by UFOs. Well, that's a theory. But if you look at American, uh, Nord, uh, Native American folklore, <laughs> try saying that three times fast, um, some of that actually... Uh, talks about uh, a bloody battle between the Cherokee and Catawba tribes that actually took place on that mountain. And a lot of lives are lost. And uh, as the legend goes, those lights are actually the ghosts of grieving women still searching the mountainside for fallen warriors. But, you know, not every story of the Brown Mountain Lights comes out weird. <laughs> the Charlotte Observer... Um, reported that the Forest Service officers had reported close-up encounters on the mountain with beach ball-sized orbs that floated and then vanished. And then in 2016, there was another local station there that uh, said that scientists from Appalachian State University uh, said believe they had captured the images of the brown mountain lights on two digital cameras. Uh, they have not been able to determine what caused the lights. Uh, one theory is ball lightning that naturally occurs in, you know, mountain gases and, um, but that's, you know, that's one widely accepted theory. However, one of the interesting things is if you actually watch video of these lights, you'll see that they're kind of dancing around. And some people say that as a Native American, 
spirits of the Native Americans doing a dance to maybe bring back the bodies, the, the, the spirits of the fallen warriors? It's another theory. Um, but if you want to actually go look for this for yourself, and I guarantee you I will at some point, um, the best time to see the Brown Mountain Lights is September through early November. So we missed it this year. Next year we have a window. Uh, you can uh, actually see them from the Blue Ridge Parkway at the Brown Mountain Light Overlook. And it's at milepost 310 on the Green Mountain Overlook at milepost uh, 301 is the other one. So 310 or 301 uh, milepost. You can see the lights. Um, actually, I, I did read something where they actually uh, moved the uh, overlook just for curious vid visitors. That, um, you know, I guess where there's, I guess it's so popular that during that time people want to come look at it. So, yeah, it's not surprising that we have so many crazy mysteries. We have Big Bigfoot, we got Mothmans, uh, Shapeshifters, and Skinwalkers, and the Brown Mountain Lights. Just to name a handful of the crazy uh, legends and, and interesting folklore and mysteries that surround us here in these these mountains we call home. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, maybe we'll get into some other one of those uh, some other ones uh, down the road and a few other episodes. Maybe the Moon-eyed People. That's a Cherokee legend. Um, long before the Cherokee moved into the Smokies. All right, so. Anyway, quite interesting uh, stuff there. So we'll definitely get into those down the road. But I thought this was a really, really fascinating topic about Brown Mountain and the legend of those lights. Um, actually, I, I, before we close off today, there's a clip that I found on YouTube. Now, I don't own the rights to this. So what I'm going to do is when we post the link up for the, for the podcast on our Facebook page, down in the comments section, I'm actually going to post the uh, link to this video from uh, YouTube so that you can actually take a look for yourself. Because as you listen to this, uh, there's some parts in it that are visual. Now, this is uh, um, a video titled Brown Mountain Lights, and this is from WCNC Newsroom. And this goes back, this posted up on October 31st, 2008. So, um, been a while, but um, nonetheless, uh, here it is. Tonight is the last of our week-long Carolina Traveler ghost stories. Yeah, here's an especially spooky story for you on Halloween night here. For hundreds of years, mysterious lights have appeared on Brown Mountain, North Carolina. Mike Redding explores the mystery and finds new geological evidence to support what locals say. The lights are the spirits of the dead from a battle fought on that mountain long, long ago. Strange tales of this mountain have been told from generation to generation for hundreds of years. The legend states the first to speak of the mystery, Cherokee and Catawba Indian tribes 800 years ago. No one has solved the mystery. What are these lights captured here in photographs? There are no roads and no homes on the mountainside, no artificial lights, yet the lights keep appearing and disappearing. I've seen them since I was around 16 years old. At the bottom of the mountain, they come up in uh, little red lights, so then they fade away. Patsy Keller has seen the mythic lights, and she's heard all the folklore about what they might be. The oldest saga told is that of a vicious battle in the 12th century between warring Indian tribes. So many warriors were slaughtered 
that young Indian maidens came to the mountain at night to search for any sign of life. The scene was so tragic and overwhelming that the maidens, their torches held high, haunt the mountain to this day. Some say the very geology of the mountain is sending a clue. Look at this picture of Brown Mountain from a satellite. In a close-up shot, with the creek bed at the base of the mountain highlighted, you can make out the profile of a Native American face looking toward the battlefield. I would say an extensive study. Cliff Rose says Brown Mountain has been poked and prodded and put under a microscope, and skeptics say it's all myth. That we were in the right place at the right time. But photographer Brian Irish says he finally has evidence. He is the first to capture the mystery on tape. This home video shot from three and a half miles away. The Brown Mountain lights are flashing and dancing, just the way people have described it for centuries. You must have your eyes focused where they are and, and be lucky in that respect. The next thing is that they must appear. And the last thing is that you must believe that they are there. And there we have it. Fascinating stuff, huh? So anyway, what do you think? Are these lights for real? Are they supernatural, paranormal? Or is there some rational explanation as to why they occur? And only during the time frame uh, available when they, uh, they show up. So, yeah, one of those mysteries. I look forward to actually maybe traveling down that way next uh, or later on this year, September, and see for myself. But thanks again. We want to thank everybody again for tuning in to uh, this episode of Appalachian Shine. Uh, make sure to uh, save us on your um, favorites on your computer if you're listening to us on Podbean. Also, we're on iTunes and Spotify, so we're on your smartphones. Make sure you subscribe and uh, visit us on our Facebook platform and at supportappalachia.org. Thanks again, and we will see you on down the road.